0: Legacy is not what I did for myself. It's what I'm doing for the next generation. V. Belfort. You have the power to be the boss of your own life. I'm your host, Monica Allen. I'm a wife, mom, entrepreneur, best-selling author, lifelong learner, and your biz bestie. I have a love and passion for all things small business. Growing my own company from $700 to over seven figures annually, my goal is to bring you inspiration, business-focused topics and tips, encouragement, and a community that helps you launch, grow, and scale your business, whether you are a dreamer, a side hustler, or a seasoned entrepreneur. You are listening to the Become Your Own Boss podcast. This episode is being brought to you by Zeus's Closet, where we're like a tattoo shop for your clothes. The weather is getting cooler, and we just launched our soft shell jackets. These jackets are absolutely great for your business logo. They make great gifts for clients as well as for your team. They're lightweight but warm, so get yours at the link in the show notes today. When I was growing up, I often heard stories about my grandfather. He was handsome, of mixed race, with his mother being half white, and he was a business owner. He had land, a corner store, and paid for his cars with cash. He was mysterious to me because I never met him. He died before I was born. However, he died in his mid to late 40s and did not have his affairs in order, and thus his kids did not receive the inheritance they deserved, his kids being my mom and my uncle. That being the case, it has become a mission of mine to make sure Ethan and I not only have our things in order, But we leave a legacy for generations to come by providing financial literacy to our kiddos, and we leave them better off. If that is your desire for your family, I want to help you do the same. Today, we're joined by Adam Tolliver, a dedicated professional committed to helping individuals and families secure their financial future. As a certified financial planner and chartered financial consultant, Adam is passionate about educating and empowering others to make informed financial decisions. He believes that this commitment not only transforms individual families, but also has a ripple effect, positively impacting neighborhoods and communities at large. For Adam, financial wellness and education, coupled with the growth of vibrant, sustainable businesses, are fundamental to the prosperity of local economies. And I couldn't agree more. So let's jump into my conversation with Adam. Hi, Adam. I'm so happy to have you here on the podcast with me today.
1: Thank you, Monica. It is a pleasure to be here. I'm really glad that we took the time. So yeah, looking forward to it.
0: Yay, I'm excited. My life word is legacy. I determined this about three years ago. I'm like, that's my life word. I want to leave a legacy. And I know you focus a lot on generational wealth. Tell me more about that. How did you get here? How did you get generational wealth as your focus?
1: Sure. Yeah. You know, it's funny, Monica, because that phrase is a bit of a buzzword that I hear people saying, and I know is important to people. And what I know is that through my practice at Artisan Financial Strategies, through my profession, my training, I've been equipped with a lot of the technical technical tools and know-how to help people make that a practical phrase. When I talk about generational wealth, when I talk about legacy, I've been equipped with the understanding and the frameworks to help people actually navigate that, having meaningful conversations with their family from one generation to the next, and coordinating planning across households within a family to make sure that legacy and generational wealth actually have some teeth to it and don't, you know, just kind of turn into feel-good platitudes that people can say from time to time. And that's really important to me because these are really tangible conversations that need to be had around health care, around legacy, around wealth, around insurance planning, around retirement planning. And a lot of times, you know, I think people's hearts are in the right place. And intellectually, we know they need to happen. But when it's time to have a conversation with family members about money and about health care, it could get really sensitive. And there's a lot of baggage that comes to the table It's important to me as a professional to help make those conversations a little easier, but also help people understand the urgency and the importance of having them because literal fortunes can be lost or gained uh, by the conversations that we're having or not having.
0: Gotcha. That being said, what, let's say I'm with my family or Mm -hmm. I'm planning to have a a family meeting. Let's say Mm -hmm. that. What are these and I love the word you used on your bio, critical conversations that we should be having with our loved ones. What steps would you give us to take to have those conversations?
1: Sure. The first thing is everyone getting grounded in understanding. And I and I can if you don't mind take some liberty to speak culturally. I just had this conversation with a friend of mine the other day. She was telling me about how difficult it is to talk about death and life insurance and estate planning. Because sometimes in in our culture, and in this particular case, this young lady is Haitian and African American. And sometimes the conversations feel like you are welcoming bad news too soon. And the first thing that I would encourage anyone who is inclined to try to lead this conversation for their family to facilitate a family meeting is to pay close attention to sort of the low-hanging fruit from a personality standpoint, who is willing to have the conversation first? Because some people, you know, you you might not be able to bring kicking and screaming, right? You want to make sure that they're receptive. The other thing is getting grounded in the what-if conversations, what happens if, But then there's also the what, when conversations, because some things are going to happen at some point, regardless. And at the very least, every family needs to address the what happens when questions. What happens if someone gets sick? But what happens when someone passes away? Because someone's going to pass away. We all are at some point. So those are kind of just delineating those things, being mindful of who in your family is already kind of primed and open to having the conversation, and then working together to kind of strategically target like who are the people that we can start to enroll and bring into this conversation. And for lack of better words, every family is is just another social group. If you can kind of get people feeling the FOMO of like why am I not involved in this, mm-hmm. then you can you can kind of enroll people to understand hey this is important, and also recognize it goes beyond your your nuclear family. It's not just about you and your spouse it's about your parents it's about your spouse's parents it's about your children it's about your siblings it's about your uncles and aunts because ultimately a lot of us operate as communal unit in a lot of ways and those are gaps that don't get addressed if the conversation isn't being had you know most people don't know whether or not their parents have long term care insurance most people don't know whether or not whether or not there's a will in place or there's a trust or if those conversations have been had at all. And a lot of what we're talking about are preventative, intentional, proactive conversations that can avoid pain and potentially create gain. And ultimately everything that we do as human beings is is driven towards avoiding pain or creating some gain. And as a family, if we can do that, then it's a it's a very powerful thing.
0: Wow, so you said a lot in that, Adam. One of the things that stuck out to me is, you know, if is there a will or is there a trust in place? Mm-hmm. Can you talk to me a little bit about the difference between those two and why you should look at one over the other or not? I, I don't sure. understand the trust thing really mm-hmm. fascinates me. Mm-hmm. I would love for you to speak around that.
1: Sure. Broadly speaking. All estate planning varies state to state. Some states are more complex than others. But in a general sense, the difference between a will and a trust really comes down to privacy and control. A will is a document that informs the state that you live in, how you want things to pass, all manners of property. And they can be customized to the nth degree, but Ultimately, it's important to know that a will is communication to the state about what your wishes are, and the state, via the probate process, will probate that will and help to facilitate and execute your wishes based on that document. A trust, and in this case, disclaimer, there are all manners of flavors of trust, right? Usually, if we're talking about a will versus a trust, we're talking about a will versus a revocable living trust. And the primary difference is that this type of trust can perform all of the functions of a will, but instead of being a public document that you work with the state on, it is a private document. And because it's private, it is less contestable, it really cannot be contested in probate court the way that a will can. So that's the first advantage of a trust. The second one is that it allows you some additional control about what happens and a trust itself can actually hold assets, which can be an additional layer of protection for the people that you care about. A good example of that is if you are a parent and you have an 18-year-old who you love dearly and believe is smart and capable, but also know that, God forbid, if something happens to you, you wouldn't want them to have the responsibility of a million dollars and a home on their backs at 18, you can kind of see that responsibility out more deliberately over time. As they mature, as they become more capable, they receive a little bit of what was intended for them as as time goes by. And of course, increasing the likelihood that they'll be able to take good care of it, be a good steward and and you know not make any catastrophic mistakes.
0: Mm, that's so important. My little cousin's their mom passed away some years ago. They're grown, they're adult men now, but their mom passed away when they were young, 18, 19, Mm -hmm. 20. And they have gone through her life insurance already, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. because because that was not set up. It was the life insurance only really.
1: I'm really sorry to hear that. Yeah. And that, that, that is an example where at in that situation, what you what you might do is have the trust be the beneficiary of the life insurance and an important thing to know about life insurance about financial accounts in general when you are doing an estate plan and you have let's say you've got a will or you've got a trust if you have a life insurance policy and the beneficiary designation <laughs> is to a specific person that beneficiary designation will bypass anything that you have in your estate planning documents, because anytime you have a beneficiary designation, it's a contract agreement with that financial institution. So the life insurance company is going to pay who you said to pay in your agreement. The way to to fix that issue would be to make the trust the beneficiary, and then the trust would decide when and how people get paid out what they're supposed to get paid out.
0: But you, like, I would designate that in my trust, like how I want things to be paid out? Correct. Correct. Okay. Mm. Okay. Well, that was very helpful. So let me ask you, when it comes to the generational wealth piece of that, I mean, I totally can see one, you know, if you blow through life insurance, that's not being very fruitful, right? But how, what are the things we should be thinking about, especially this podcast being specifically towards entrepreneurs? What are Mm -hmm. things we should be thinking about as business owners as we think legacy, generational wealth, trust, wills, all of that stuff? What are some high-level things we should be thinking about?
1: Sure. At at a high level, I would say for business owners, one of the biggest challenges that is faced is business owners spend a lot of time, really the bulk of their time, working in their business and not necessarily Mm -hmm. on their business. and starting to think about your business as an asset on your balance sheet. One, recognizing that for the majority of entrepreneurs, the business tends to be the most valuable asset on your balance sheet. It's worth the most. You rely on it for income. You rely on it to support your family. And that's a beautiful thing in that for the most part, you're not going to get a better return on your investment, on your time, your talent, your energy than you are in reinvesting in your business. But it's also a bit of a trap because your business with all that value is typically an illiquid asset, right? So it may generate some income, but if your business is worth $10 million, but you don't actually have, you can't touch $10 million. Right. Part of what we do as advisors is help you create a plan that gets you aligned. In your personal financial world and your business financial world, so that you're running and growing your business in a way that actually serves the needs of yourself and your family. And the sooner you start to think in that way and strategize in that way, the better it is and the easier it is to plan in the short, midterm, and long term. So, big picture, the takeaway I would say there is to start that sort of strategic financial planning early. And start to figure out how you can make sure that you're building enough financial assets outside of your business to kind of de risk your balance sheet so that it's not all concentrated, which essentially would be like buying one stock and betting on one stock. It doesn't feel that way because you're operating it, you know, you're betting on yourself, but ultimately you want to start to build assets outside of your business as early as you can, which will give you more flexibility and ultimately you can avoid kind of being in a in a position of desperation later where if someone offers you a low number to sell your business, you don't feel obligated to take it because you don't actually have enough assets independent of, of the company.
0: Wow. Okay. I need to give that some <clears throat> thought. I need to give that some thought. Betting on one stock kind of thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that struck me because it is so much energy and time that's in the business. And, hmm, okay. Something to ponder over and figure out how to diversify because we put a lot of energy. My husband and I are both in business together. We both Mm -hmm. have put a lot into it. Adam, I have another question for you because there are a lot of letters behind your name. And truthfully... Yes, that is true. Truthfully, I don't know (laughs) what they all mean. But I'm curious to know what they mean and why are those letters important in what you do.
1: Mm -hmm. I have a few professional designations. The two that that I hold out in public are the Certified Financial Planner designation and the Chartered Financial Consultant designation. The Certified Financial Planner designation is really what I consider to be the standard for a financial planner. It is about professionalism and process. You know, every individual client that I work with is going to have a different story, a different set of facts and circumstances that contextualize their their life and their money and how they work together. What the CFP did for me was bring a formalized process and framework that helps to work through those facts to get to tangible assessment of their situation, and also answers on how to close gaps that exist when we go through that assessment. That is a tremendous a tremendous accomplishment that I'm really, really proud of, but also it just brings a lot of very practical value to my relationship with my clients and making sure that we are giving them the best advice and getting to the right answers with a process that leaves no stone unturned. The Chartered Financial Consultant, goes a bit into more specializations and the most relevant one for this audience is definitely going to be that we we learned a lot in that curriculum for that designation around planning for closely held businesses businesses that are owned individually not public companies usually you know small business to lower middle market businesses that may be family owned and the complications that come in your financial world from a tax planning and from a estate planning standpoint, how do we manage those issues for your family when you, when you own that type of business? And so that's, that's the charter financial consulting.
0: Okay. Thank you for explaining that. Sure. A couple couple more questions because growing up, I can remember my grandmother paying the life insurance guy who came to the house, you know, And every Mm -hmm. month she'd pay her money for life insurance. And I think a lot of us have learned that life insurance is important. Of course, I know Mm -hmm. some people haven't, but for me personally, I know life insurance was one of those things that my husband and I, especially once we had kids, we were like, okay, we've got to have life insurance. But what are other things we also need to think about beyond life insurance when it comes to estate planning and again, creating that generational wealth?
1: Sure. Life insurance is a a great place to start. Absolutely. But generally speaking with protection planning, we want to be mindful of protecting the existing assets that we have so that we're not paying out of pocket for events that we can reasonably assume might occur. That's a big part of estate planning is making sure that your protection planning is thorough and you've taken full inventory there beyond life insurance. The other part of estate planning that I think is really important, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, is really about creating intentionality and a shared vision with your family about what you want to happen. I've been for years, I've I've held this with me, but a mentor of mine said that a sound estate plan is the last thing that you say to the people that you love. It's the last message that they get from you and it can be the greatest gift that you can give. Ultimately, anytime we encounter needing to engage estate planning documents, whether someone is living or has passed on, we are dealing with a family at one of their most raw and devastating times. And it's important to remember that the grief can't be alleviated, but we can make it worse, by not having planning in place. You can make the situation a lot cleaner, a lot smoother, a lot less stressful from an administrative standpoint and from a relationship standpoint within a family if you are very intentional about one, setting up your estate documents and then two, regularly reviewing them. And I would say reviewing your estate planning documents every two to three years. Some people are a little more liberal than that, But for me, it's about getting into the habit and the comfortability of having the conversation, identifying who's going to be responsible for what task, because a lot of administration, a lot of administrative duties come about when someone is sick in the hospital. Who's going to talk to the doctor? Who's going to make this decision on their behalf? Who's going to pay the bills and make sure that the household is still in good working order? And when someone passes away, who's going to handle the arrangements? And who, in the event that that we are all grieving who is going to be the person who feels most up to the task. You know, some people feel like busying themselves will help, but also who can support them in those tasks. And a lot of the conversation in our state plan really boils down to who, who's doing what, who's getting what, how are we going to do this? So those are, those are the things that in legacy planning are a big deal. And unfortunately, some of those conversations are so uncomfortable that they go, they go unsaid, they don't happen, and as a result, a lot gets lost. And it's kind of what I describe as the leaky bucket of generational wealth, where there yeah. is wealth that already exists. Even for families who feel like they don't have a lot, there are ways for you to create more and to protect what you already have. But some of those conversations just we, there's a lot of opportunity cost there because we're not having them
0: yeah I think for most of us, you know we don't want to think about us not being here. you know we mm-hmm. don't want to think about any of that neg- what we you know deem as negative <laughs> negative yep. energy, but mm-hmm. I do get the importance of it, and ultimately, if you do want to leave that legacy, you do have to talk about it
1: and the best time to talk about it is when everything is fine
0: mm. yeah, that makes sense. One more question for you and This is for the audience. It's all for the audience. But how, because I think some people may not engage a financial planner or an estate Mm -hmm. planner because they don't know how to pay that person or how that person gets paid. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like if someone engages with, say, your firm or another company typically? How does the payment process work?
1: Sure my firm as a financial planning firm, we charge a planning fee for an engagement and then we get paid a couple a couple other ways that we always disclose in our in our meetings in our engagements with our clients but that includes assets under management because we do investment management so managing retirement plans and investment accounts and then we also get paid through placing insurance products commissions based on what company we place insurance products with and throughout our process as an engagement we like to think of ourselves as sort of the the quarterback in the financial world of our client we're the the 911 411 you call us you know when you when you have an issue and part of our responsibility is also as we go through a planning process recognizing when another advisor needs to be brought to the table sometimes we work with clients who already have an estate planning attorney or an accountant And then other times we are kind of their first formal relationship and they need to be introduced to other resources. And we'll bring those resources to the table at the appropriate time in our engagement. And then those resources will have their own planning fees or or transactional fees based on whatever the service might be.
0: Gotcha. Okay. well, it sounds like it's very disclosed up front. You know exactly what you're looking at. Do You all have a limited or a minimum amount of assets that you want people to have to work with your firm. I know every firm is different, but
1: yeah, every firm is different and I'm I'm proud because, you know, we like to make our best efforts to be able to work with with as many people as possible. So our our limit is is not super high relative to what you'll see out there, but typically if a household, we do it based on income and okay. and assets or rather income or assets if a household has 200, 250,000 in income or above or 250,000 in assets or above, we're, we're happy to work with them.
0: Okay. Sounds great. Is there anything else you want us to think about as we move forward? And especially again, as business owners, things we need to think about as we're looking to, you know, leave a legacy for our families or leave, you know, wealth behind for our families, Is there anything else we should be thinking about? And then lastly, how can people get in touch with you?
1: Sure. Yes. The biggest thing that I would say to be mindful of is the sooner you get started in any planning, the better, because time is our biggest enemy just in forms of options. The more time goes by, the less options we have. The sooner you can engage with an advisor to start to formalize a plan. And I hate to say this, but even Even a not great plan is typically going to be better than no plan at all. Of course, you know you want to work with someone who's confident and professional and can help you out the best. But I caution people against wasting time, procrastinating. The sooner you can start to answer some of these questions and get in that mindset, the better. That's the biggest one that I would say. And as far as as reaching me, if you go to workingwithadam.com, you'll find a a page on our website that kind of talks through some frequently asked questions that people have about the type of people that that I work with. And of course the the that'll also take you to the broader website. So you can, you know, look around on there. And then there's a there's a portion on there for you to shoot me an email if you're if you're interested and would like to have a conversation. And of course, an initial conversation doesn't cost you anything. It's not a commitment or anything. Usually that's a very helpful place to
0: start. Okay. Sounds great. Actually, now you made me think of one other question. When it comes to a trust, if someone's interested in that, can they talk to you about that or is that an attorney they need to talk to or how does that part work?
1: Yeah, we can definitely have a preliminary conversation about it, but ultimately an estate planning attorney will need to execute the document for you, but I can help you kind of talk through the points that you want to think about and consider when you are putting together a trust, you know, for us, that's always within the context of a larger financial plan, but an estate planning attorney will be the person who's actually going to draft the document for you.
0: Okay. Got it. Well, thank you so much, Adam, for joining me today. And hopefully, this will be helpful. I know it's been helpful to me, but hopefully, it'll be helpful to someone else set out to really, truly leave generational wealth behind. So, thank you so much for your time.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Monica.
0: I want to thank Adam for coming on the podcast and sharing his wealth of knowledge. His contact information can be found in the show notes. One of the things Adam and I talked about a bit offline is the holiday season, perhaps being a great time to check the temperature around these types of conversations. You may not want to get too deep. Because, of course, we want it to be an enjoyable time. But this is often the time when siblings, parents, and grandkids are all together. On next week's episode, I will bring you some discussion points around getting some critical questions answered. Questions that will help everyone in the family better understand the state of affairs for the family. So don't miss that episode. And also, do me a favor and share this episode with someone. I know this stuff is not fun, but truly fortunes can be lost or gained by being proactive in this process. For my family, fortunes were lost. My uncle honestly brought up just a few years ago, just a couple of years ago, the topic around how his life may have been different had their inheritance been handled correctly or differently or better. Perhaps he would have considered college instead of just going to trade school. Now, my uncle is doing fine. He has a nice home, and he's raised two kids of his own, and he has a grandson. But the what if still lingers a bit in the air for him. So give your family the gift of not having the what if be there. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you find this episode valuable. Again, take a moment and share it with a friend or family member. Also, take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast remember now is the time now is the time to level up to level up our families leave a legacy and become your own boss